Ephesians 1, 3-14 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the, whole, in the heavenly places, even as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him through heaven and things on earth things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Praise be to God. Thank you, Debbie, for reading for us today, and thank you for reading for us uh, for the entire month of January. You have one more week to go. It's wonderful to hear the Word of God being read. It's wonderful to sing the songs with the lyrics that we have, and it's a blessing to able to be able to read that confession of faith um, this month being the Heidelberg Catechism. We know that the person who we communicate most with is the person who will influence us the most. If I were to ask you who around you is the person you talk with the most, who around you is the person who influences your thoughts and your, and your, your mood the most, well, if you were to stop to look around, you, you would know that the answer is simply, well, yourself, that we speak to ourselves more than anyone else speaks to us. And in fact, we speak to ourselves in our head at a rate that is a much, much higher than you are processing even this communication uh, right now. And so it's important for us to read these things. It's important to us to read scripture to declare truth to ourselves and to other people. We need to hear the truth about who God is so that our minds are filled with the good things of truth, that we may live a life according to what is real in this world and not what is false. And so I encourage you each Sunday as we continue to worship, to listen to the words carefully. Slow down your mind. Slow down your heart. Again, we are used to hearing our voices at tremendous speeds, communicating information at tremendous speeds in our head. But we must slow down and read God's word recite God's word at a pace that we can say, hey, let's let each and every word of this truth 
sink deep into my mind that I may today and in the future always speak the true gospel to myself. So praise be to God for his word. Praise be to God for this time that we have here together. Today we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. And we see something very wonderful about salvation. Now, for most of us, as we have grown up um, in the church, and perhaps as you first came to know the Lord, we often think that the, the idea of salvation is simply for us to believe in Jesus. That Jesus is sort of the, the main focus of salvation. It's his death that paid for our sins. It's his resurrection that imputed to us righteousness. It's his death and resurrection that gave us forgiveness and gave us life. And, and rightfully so. We understand that knowing Jesus is sort of the center of knowing God. But we have to expand our understanding of salvation. And we have to understand salvation, not simply in the light of Jesus himself. But we have to understand salvation in the light of God himself. And we're talking about the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That all three persons in the Trinity has their role, has their part in securing salvation for you and me. This gives more honor to God the more we know how he's done it. But also it brings comfort to the believer in knowing that there is no confusion within God. There's no debate within God. There is a unity of mind of what God intended to save you and me. Before we get into these different roles, let's talk a little bit about the fact that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each has accepted their role in the Godhead for the salvation of, their, of his people. I want you to think about that. God in all of eternity, apart from us as created beings, apart from creation, lived without needing us, lived in perfect love, lived in perfect harmony, lived in perfect holiness in all things. They were equal, and they are equal, sorry, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. They are equal in their divinity in every single way. There is no way that we could see God, if we were able to see God, and distinguish the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are of one essence together in the Lord. But God chose within the Trinity to take on different roles for the sake of saving his people. 
And as they did so, we have no record of them having a dispute about the roles they would take. And in fact, it would contradict the very essence of God being perfect in love and being perfect in unity. But each one of them took a different role and gladly, gladly went to work for you and me. If God in his Godhead understood the nature that they are equal, yet in the act of salvation, they each take a different role, submitting to one another, then we as God's creation being made in his image take on certain values like that as well. As people created in his image, we are all of value. We are all equal before the Lord. That all of us deserve punishment. But in Christ, all of us have been saved. And all of us equally have been saved by grace and grace alone. But each of us plays different roles in the church. Each of us plays different roles in our families. And we do so not begrudgingly, but we do so gladly, knowing that we have our gifts and roles to play for the church, for God's kingdom, in order to bring Him glory. We do not envy each other's gifts. We do not envy each other's circumstances. But we gladly say, whatever, Lord, you have given to me, I lay before you for your glory. For I know that I have been created in your image. I know that I have been saved by you in Christ. And I know that I will be in eternity with you. That my brothers and sisters, perhaps, who have different gifts and different abilities, we are still the same made in your image to bring you glory. This idea of the Trinity having these different roles for the sake of the salvation of us permeates creation and permeates the church as well. We're all equal. And yet with our distinct roles, we serve God presenting our gifts in loving submission to one another. And so we, we move on and we go and see how the Trinity sort of divides the roles for the salvation of his people. Here in verse 3, we see that the Father has a distinct role. Point one, the Father is the administer of salvation. He is the superintendent of salvation. He is the one who, who sits in heaven and makes sure that the Spirit and the Son is doing what they need to be doing in their roles. He is the one who, who has planned out all of salvation for you and for me. In verse 4, he says, Even as he, the Father, 
chose us in Christ before the foundation before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in Jesus the father predestined us he adopted us so the the father is the one who from the beginning of all time looked and surveyed all of time and all of history and as he looked and surveyed all of history, he saw creation. He saw the fall. He saw what it would take to bring his people back to him and see ultimately his final glory when Christ returns. And the Father pervades all of this, and he makes a decision within the body of the Trinity. His decision and his will was that we are going to enact and enact this plan of salvation and I the father am going to make sure that what needs to happen will happen and so we have in scripture a story of the father who superintends all of history we have the, the the father who superintends the, the fact that he hardens in Exodus, hardens the heart of Pharaoh in order that he may accomplish his miracle so that his people, the Israelites, will know that it was the God of heaven who brought them out of Israel, not anyone else. The Father superintends history when the Israelites begin to rebel, that he sends judgment upon them. He raises up kings to come and take them out of their land. Why? So that the Israelites would know that the Father was in control of all of history. This Father is the one that we pray to. This Father is the one who makes sure, who superintends every act of history for the sake of you and me. This should be comforting to you because God's plan for you and for me, the Father's plan, cannot be thwarted. No one can stand against the Father. And once the Father has chosen you, once the Father has placed your name in the book of life, there's nothing in this world that can erase it. This is the beauty of knowing that the Father has saved you. The Father had initiated before you were born to save you from eternal punishment and to give you eternal life. The second person of the Trinity we are more familiar with in terms of how salvation works. I believe that Jesus is the most, how can I say this? 
we know most about Jesus and his working in the salvation of, of us, his people. And that's because he took the form of a, of a person. We hear his groanings. We hear his sadness. We hear his pain. We hear his communication with the Father about his role in salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus got the hardest part in his role to secure salvation for you and I. The Father superintends it. But Jesus' role was to be, if I could say this, he was the foot soldier. He was to go out and face the enemy while the Father stood back and watched and superintended everything that was going to happen. But it was Jesus who went into the gap to fight the battle for you and for me. We say that Jesus, if the Father administers salvation, we say that Jesus secures salvation or that Jesus has accomplished the plan that God has set forth. And this is why you and I are so in tune with this, because we see that his work is the center of the plan of what the Father has for, for all of our salvation. And so we turn to Jesus, and we know that it's his work, his accomplishment, his death, his resurrection that gives us everything. In this passage here in verses 3 through verse 10, if you look very carefully, you'll see that the Father gives something to us, his children. Or the Father has accomplished something for us, his children. But he does so with this, with this nice little prepositional word, in Christ. He made us holy and blameless in Christ. He gave us all wisdom and insight in Christ. In other words, in the Father's plan, He couldn't simply, by fiat, just give everything to us. His justice demanded justice. And so everything that He's given to us had to be accomplished and mediated for us in Jesus Himself. And so why do you have salvation? Jesus has accomplished it. Who wanted to give you salvation? The Father wanted to give you salvation. Could he have done it, good? Could he have done it by fiat? No. He needed Jesus to satisfy his justice, satisfy his wrath, in order for you to receive what the Father longed to give you. Salvation. Holiness blamelessness, adoption, all for his glory and his glory alone. So it's right for us to look and see that we need to trust in Jesus for the salvation that we have received. But remember, remember that, that, that uh, interaction between the Father and the Son at Gethsemane, where the son says to the father, listen, let, let this cup pass from me. In other words, 
Lord, I know this is your plan, but if there's another way, can, can we can we find it? The son knowing that there wasn't another way. Jesus knew there wasn't another way. But you could see that Jesus depended upon the Father, right? The administrator of salvation for strength, for power, for comfort. To do what he needed to do. He needed to hear from the Father in constant prayer. Son, this was our plan from eternity. Son, you can do this. Son, you will receive glory afterwards. Son, keep going. And so think about this. The Son needed the Father. To accomplish your salvation. The the Father needed the Son to accomplish your salvation. It's not one or the other, but it's both working in tandem to secure what the Lord desired to give you life. It is like that commander who calls down to to the grunt workers and say, hey, how's the battle going? And the grunt workers going, it's going. I don't know. It's. I know we had a plan, but it doesn't seem like this plan is working. And then the general saying, don't worry. I can see everything that's happening on the battlefield. Just keep going. We will win this war. And the grunt saying, are you sure? Are you sure we can win this? What I see around me, I don't see a way out. And the general saying, I see everything. I see where the enemy is. I see our supply lines. I see our artillery. I see what we have. Just go. We can accomplish it. And so we thank the Father and the Son for securing our salvation for us. And all glory goes to them. Thirdly, the role of the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 13, um, Paul says, In him, or in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You and I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that word seal mean? If we look at the ancient Near East in terms of how sort of letters were sent back and forth, kings had a seal in which they would sort of seal their letters. And that seal with the insignia would represent the king's will. What the Holy Spirit represents is the seal that represents the Father's will. Think about that. The Holy Spirit is the messenger that communicates to us that the Father's plan of salvation has worked in us. It's his signal. Signature for us 
It's his promise to us. It's a contract that's been signed by the Father, sent to you to remind you and to demonstrate to you and to assure you that salvation, the promised salvation, has been accomplished. This Holy Spirit communicates, and that's the third word, that the Father administers, the Son secures, the Holy Spirit communicates to us the reality of salvation in our lives. If not for the Holy Spirit, what the Father and what the Son has done is a reality that's far from us, that doesn't make any sense for, for us. It will be like, you know, if someone to say to us, listen, this is how penguins live in Antarctica. This is their culture. But it has nothing to do with us. It's wonderful knowledge to have, but it has no impact in our lives. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit brings the impact of what the Father and the Son had accomplished in salvation for you and me. The Holy Spirit lives in us, resides in us, and communicates to us that we are children of the living God. Now, the Holy Spirit is the most unassuming of the three persons in the Trinity. In fact, you could, you could often say that the Holy Spirit got the short end of the stick from a human perspective. No one really talks about it. No one really talks about what he's, what he's doing. Because his role is simply to be that seal or signia, that sign, that points back to the Father and points back to the Son to give them glory. But all three of these persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have come together, worked together for your salvation. Excuse me. This brings glory to God. This brings glory to the triune God. And we give glory back to Him. All three members, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit deserves honor for their work of salvation in us. It is right for us to say, we worship you, Father, for administering salvation. We worship you, Father, for, for, um, for, um, for ministering to your Son while he lived here on earth. We worship you, how you encouraged him and how you walked with him and were, was near to him in this time of need. We worship you, Jesus, for you are the one who followed these instructions, became flesh and walked among us. We worship you because you actually died on that cross, feeling the full blunt of punishment. We worship you, both Father and Son, for Scripture teaches the Father raised Jesus, but also Jesus raised his life back up. We worship you that you rose again from the dead and that you conquered life together. And then we worship you, Holy Spirit, for you communicated to us that all the blessings of salvation 
that you secured now belong to us. We are the ones who have the inheritance. And the seal tells us that you are the one who has given it to you and me. There should be great comfort in knowing that there is no division in the Godhead. There's no confusion in the Godhead about what they were doing to come and save you and me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit did not have an arguments. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit did not fight about their roles. But the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in oneness of mind has saved you. There is no this plan that the Lord has is perfect plan. There is no outs, no caveats, no mistakes. There is no loophole in what the Trinity, the Lord, has done for you and me. Our salvation is safe and secure in Him. Let us praise our God and worship Him for what He has done. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, we thank you, we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For you, the triune God, administered, secured, and communicated salvation to us, your people. And you deserve all honor, all glory. We worship you. We also, Lord, are encouraged to know that in oneness of mind, oneness of spirit, that there is complete um, unity in your heart and your mind towards us. And Lord, we are comforted in knowing, Lord, that nothing can separate us from you. Nothing can thwart the, the will of the triune God who loves us. So we thank you. In Christ's name we pray.